HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Me mateys, welcome to a seafaring episode of Earth's and the Ocean's favorite podcast, Life's a Banquet, with me, your host, Arg Long John Silver. Was he like a Scottish pirate? Is that yes? Long John Silver was a Scot. Nobody really knows that. Yes, the Dread Pirate Roberts, Scottish. <laughs> Just saying pirate words. Uh. Anyway, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm mediocre at best, honestly. Yeah. Well, I think it's cute that we're both, we're both wearing white, though. That's nice. Oh, yeah. Look at us. We look like Diane Keaton. Mm-hmm. We each look like one half of Diane Keaton. Absolutely. I'm in the post. I'm the butt. Exposed neck phase. No exposed neck phase of Diane Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really no, scary. Like, the fact that she stopped exposing her neck at the age of, like, 27 made me really frightened for what my neck was going to look like. And... Still, to this day. And then Nora Ephron has that book called I Hate My Neck. Pretty rude. Yeah, that's true. Um, I always wonder what the hell is under there, though. Like, I like to think that it's like a cabinet of curiosities and she pulls down her turtleneck and there's like, it's like the inside of like a haunted tree trunk. I think it's just really like turkey neck. But I'm like, if you can get a facelift, can't you also get a neck lift? No, well, Nora Ephron talks about that and I feel bad about my neck how you can't really get a neck lift without it's like almost impossible now i would like to say to that we can put a man on the moon mm-hmm. we can't figure out how to get like a woman a neck lift it seems like it would be you would just tighten it in the back but i always i think about this a lot too because she also says that like if she i mean this is you know not the nicest way of saying it but um basically that if she were to become unhoused um and not have like all of the things that she does to make her face not so hairy that she would have a really hairy face. But I'm like, <laughs> this is, if she got electrolysis, which has been around forever, then she, it permanently removes your hair. So she didn't know that electrolysis was an option, apparently. Yeah. Um, and she certainly had the money for it. So I don't think we can believe her. Or maybe it was just so long ago in the 90s. 
<laughs> yes, this was 855 years ago. But she said, if I remember correctly, that to have the neck lift, you actually have to get like a facelift. Mm-hmm. And she like never wanted to get a facelift. I'll get so a facelift she, right now. Uh, me too. I was thinking that, look at how much better my face looks when I do this. I know, but my only issue is... I look amazing. I look like a 10-year-old. If you look at pictures of those scars, they're like visible behind your ears. Yeah, yeah. It's very obvious. Nicole, have we talked about the diet drug sweeping the nation? I can't pronounce it. Ozempic? Ozempic. Um, no, but I think it's really funny. Um, I don't remember who was in my Instagram feed, what magazine. It was like Food and Wine or Sevier or something. And, and they were like, <laughs> they were like, well, listen, everyone. Yes, Ozempic makes you have less of an appetite, but there's some food out there that also does that naturally. Like they're also scared that everyone's just going <laughs> to stop eating and therefore stop buying, like subscribing to their food magazines that they're like, no, it's fine. You guys can eat. There's also like that. I can't remember what article posted they're like life after food and it's just like a picture of like this elaborate banquet with cobwebs all over it did you see that one no but this is like (laughs) so absurd what privilege it is to just like be able to afford any kind of food you want and be like I'm over food food is bad it's gross but also like people are still eating a little bit you know they're having a snack yeah exactly I just have like this burning feeling I don't know I could be wrong but that taking people's diabetes medication and shooting it in between your toes may result in some kind of like bad consequence down the line (laughs) but I don't I'm not a I'm not a botanist yeah interestingly enough I when I first moved into this apartment two years ago whoever lived here before had a food and wine subscription Mm -hmm. and I still get it like I'm still getting it so that's great they renewed it or, you know, with magazine subscriptions, it's always, like, mysterious. Like, did I renew it? Did I not renew it? Um, <clears throat> is it just, like, it must be, like, an automatic renew for this person. But they haven't gotten their Food & Wine magazine in two years. So that oh, wow. means they barely noticed it when it was coming. And I have to say the same. It's Food & Wine, cute pictures, but, like, do I use it? No, not really. Yeah, um, me neither. I also just got two in a row because I guess I missed a month. Obviously. I did too. I got oh. two in a row also, and I don't subscribe <laughs> to it either. I just get it, but my name is on it, but I don't pay for my it. My name is not on it. I don't think. Let me check. Whose I have, I have one right here, the one with the cake on it. I say like these are the Ted two. Bundy. These are the two that I got here. Yeah, yeah, me too. I got the same one. Yeah, no, this is for Nora. I don't want to say her whole name. Efron. Nora Efron. And <laughs> thank you for this gift subscription. <laughs> the ghost of Nora Efron is just sending you food and wine magazines that you don't yeah. take out of the plastic even. I've been stealing. I hope my neighbor's not listening to this. My downstairs neighbors have been away and they always deliver their New Yorker to my mailbox for some reason. I guess maybe it says my apartment number by accident. And I always just like place it outside of the mailbox for them to read because I'm not smart enough to read the New Yorker. Mm. And, but recently I have been stealing it because they're away. And I'm like, I'm not going to use this. We're going to read like seven New Yorkers (coughs) when I get back. No. Also, you probably won't even read seven New Yorkers. No. I went time ambitious enough to get the Paris Review and then I was like, I'm not, I'm going to read one of these and then go back to looking at my phone. (laughs) The Paris Review. That's hilarious. You're like, it's Sunday morning. Let me just tuck in. You put on like some Chopin radio, tuck into the Paris Review. Listen, there is some good stuff in there, okay? Hard-hitting journalism. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sure. You know, speaking of hard-hitting journalism, I had a dinner party last night for the first time since COVID. 
and it was delightful. But my dinner guests had no idea about Ben Affleck's full back tattoo. So for dessert, I showed them it. <laughs> it was Yum. hilarious. Did you actually have dessert though? Yeah, we had some kumquats and oranges. Yeah, love the kumquat. Do you work yeah, for I'm big kumquat? <laughs> yeah, I work for big kumquat, which is funny because a kumquat is so little. So small, yeah. But the company that distributes them and takes them off of wherever they grow. Kumquata, kumquat America Industries? No, I, uh, <laughs> I don't work for big kumquat. I just like kumquats during the winter season. They're delicious. They're so tangy. I love crunching through the skin. I feel like a giant eating a regular size orange and not... Brings me a lot of joy. <laughs> um, well, you and I were talking earlier about awkwardly purchasing kumquats at the grocery store and then running mm-hmm. into someone that you know, which is funny because I feel like there's other places where I wouldn't mind running into someone, like at the chiropractor. But sure, the grocery store is awkward because I feel like, especially if it's a small grocery store, like you have to like make small talk really fast. And then run away, in my opinion. Because otherwise Absolutely. you risk the nervousness of, like, having to shop at the same area. Like, you know, like, we're both looking at the broccoli. And, and then I'm like, oh, let's, here's my broccoli. i got to go. And then I have to go to the other side of the store as quickly as possible. And then each aisle I have to peek around the corner to see if the other person's in the aisle. <laughs> so we don't run into each other again because we've already ended the conversation. But it's very scary. It's terrible. It's one of the absolute worst places to run into someone, I think, for that exact reason. Like, once you've said your goodbye, you're, it's just not definitely goodbye. And then you have to, like, maybe pretend you don't see them. They're right next to you, you know. And you both for grab the- for the same can of beans. <laughs> exactly. You have a meat cute. You're like, we already said goodbye. Why are you right next to me? But then you have to definitely- be like, oh, ha, ha, ha. We're still shopping together. Even though Hello we're- again. <laughs> <laughs> this time you, you here. <laughs> bye for real this time. This is when, folks, you take your cart and you just run out the door and steal your groceries and just yes. run, run all the way home with that cart. And don't look back. Um, I think it's like one of the worst places to run into someone. There's a couple other places that I think are worse. One time, my worst bump in, and like, I really don't like small talk. Like, I like if I see someone I know on the street, maybe like a quick hello, maybe a stop and chat if it's somebody that I actually really enjoy talking to, but maybe isn't like a good friend. Um, But I hate forced spending time with people. Yes. One time I ran into a person who we both know, I'll tell you off mic if you don't like remember this story. But it was a person that we both know and, but not a friend, um, but someone who I knew well enough that it would be awkward just, just to sit in silence next to them. So it was when Franny's was still open and uh, I'm at the bar, there's someone next to me. And then that person gets up and reveals this other person <laughs> who's just also starting their meal. Oh no! And I had to spend the entire dinner with him Ew. and we had to like talk because it was too awkward just to sit next to each other and not talk. It was really, really bad. That's bad. Or getting seated next to someone on a plane who you know and don't want to talk to. I would never speak to someone. I mean, I would be like, hey, but I'm putting my headphones in. That's, I feel like planes, it's fine to do that. Or even at dinner, just stick your headphones in. (laughs) Totally. Well, one time I actually saw somebody who I kind of know on the train and we like said hello to each other, briefly like exchanged pleasantries. And then I said, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. Still sitting across from them, but we just decided we're not going to talk anymore and we're not going to like fake it. 
one time my actual very good friend and I were going to the beach together and we got on the A train and she put her headphones in. <laughs> oh, wow. That's something else, huh? Um, yeah, Katie, I hope you remember that if you listen Fucking to the cast. Katie. <clears throat> well, I had a boyfriend one time who like at the end of our relationship, this was just a relationship that really wasn't meant to be. We didn't really like spending time together that much. Uh, apparently he liked spending time with me even less than I with him. But towards the end of our relationship, he was, we were walking to like lunch or something. And he was like, Hey, I think from like now on be a good idea. If we both brought a book when we went out to eat, <laughs> so we could both just read while we're sitting there. And I was like, um, Hmm. I don't know about that. I don't, I don't think we're 85 yet. <laughs> a book at dinner, two people with a book. I mean, I think that's kind of cute sometimes. More like a mid-afternoon coffee shop book. But yes, of course. If you had a book, you wouldn't have had to talk to that dude at dinner. And if you had a book at the grocery store, then you could (laughs) start reading it while you're shopping. And then the person, you wouldn't, you know, like, just like the person be like, oh, they're reading at the grocery store. So I I can't re-interrupt them. Um, this is a good, this is an endorsement for big book. Also a literal big book. If you bring a really big book, like a giant children's, like massive picture book, or like a comically large, you know, prop comic book, mm-hmm. then you won't have to talk to anyone because you can just hide behind the book the entire time. No one will yes. see you. Or if you bring the Bible, that would be off-putting to a lot of people. Like, oh my God. Absolutely. It, or mind pump. I saw a person I saw Zara at the grocery store and not only was she reading in the grocery store she was reading the bible (laughs) (laughs) folks are you interested in staying away from people and avoiding small talk read the bible as you walk around the street (laughs) it's amazing uh yeah well so speaking of the bible I have some some Ben and Jen updates Thank the Lord. Um, they are very troubling. So, oh my. Um, I mean the the media, the failing media insists that J Lo is doesn't want Ben Affleck to start to be a smoker, which I think that like maybe that's true. But she married a smoker, and you know, notoriously smoking is hard to stop. Um, but um, apparently, according to marka.com jennifer lopez hates ben affleck's new habits that are helping him quit smoking which one of which is chewing nicorette gum constantly which could explain why in that very bizarre love instagram post that they post he's chewing gum like an insane person (laughs) oh yeah that is one of the most disturbing things i've ever seen in my in my whole entire life yeah ever uh, yes, but you know, if you, you got to chew the Nicaragua gum really hard, you got to go hard and then you can finally stop smoking. Um, the Why other, they let anyone see that though. You know what I mean? I don't know. I think that, I think that Ben wanted America to know that he's trying to quit smoking. Okay. And that okay. was the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not by putting a nicotine patch on his arm, by chewing sure. gum more aggressively than anyone has ever chewed gum before on camera. <laughs> While he's getting cuddled. <laughs> um, the other thing is that IndieWire.com reported that Ben Affleck is kind of disturbed, and this is sort of a callback to our last episode, kind of disturbed by how much Jennifer Love has loves Yellowstone. <laughs> she loves Yellowstone. Maybe she's a Koss fan, too. She loves that hot Koss. But we love Koss, and we do not like Yellowstone. 
The show is terrible. It's I've never really even seen bad. It, but yeah. Um, well, JLo, she hates smokers and she hates Yellowstone. And then she apparently hates their $64 million mansion too because they once again dropped out of escrow. I, as a never homeowner, don't even understand exactly what that means. I know the escrow is like one of the stages before you get to get your house. But I think it's a leafy green <clears throat> vegetable, actually. Yes. So they've dropped out of their escrow again. Um, according to the New York Post, he's in, but she's out. So she's the problem child here. She wants something to be different about their house. No idea what. <laughs> Probably less ashtrays. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, they spent $64 million on a house, but they're like maybe not going to buy. They're just buying a $64 million house or they're like building it. I don't. I thought they were building it too, but I guess they're just buying it or not buying it because they keep dropping out of escrow. I don't know anything about buying a home. So listeners call in, um, real estate agents, whatever, to explain what escrow is and why you would drop out of it repeatedly <laughs> if you were rich. Escrow and bean soup, your favorite. <laughs> um, speaking of bean soup, let's get into our topic. Great. Our topic today is bean soup. <laughs> You know it, you love it, you eat it every day. Um, our topic today is actually very, very specific. It's the ocean. Um, and so I decided to do tuna, which is found, in case you didn't know, found in the sea. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Huh. Um, so let's dig in here. Um, let's dive in, right? <laughs> It's a little more apropos. Yes, let's dive in. Okay. So um, I'm going to first start with how America became such a big tuna town. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, According to Slate.com, the reason why Americans love tuna so much is because it's cheap and it's bland. And, you know, that makes sense to me. Sure. But before we loved it so much, we did not love it. So in the 19th century, most tuna was imported in cans from France and served to European guests at upscale East Coast restaurants because most Americans thought tuna was too gamey. Gamey? Um, mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, interesting. I would never think that as a way to describe it. Well, now, because they fixed it. Fishy. They fixed it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it used to be more gamey. But also, isn't game, doesn't it have to be on the land? I have no idea. Um, That's what I thought. I don't know. This I'm just obviously reading word for word this article from Slate. Okay. So um, they're like, ew, it's gross. It's gamey. Um, until a cannery in California was like, okay, if you steam albacore tuna, drain off its natural oil, repack it with cottonseed oil, it basically tastes like literally nothing. Um, <laughs> and so they begin marketing it as a chicken alternative in 1907, Whoa. they sent out thousands of free recipe booklets to people, basically just replacing classic chicken recipes with tuna, which I think is really funny. Like having yeah. like tuna piccata, <laughs> tuna parm, <laughs> whole barbecued, roast, whole roast tuna, <laughs> barbecued tuna, rotisserie tuna. Is that why we have tuna salad? Like because it was replacing chicken salad? I mean, yeah, probably most likely, although it's 1907. Well, I don't know what was going on. Did they even have mayonnaise back then? But um, 
<laughs> they most of the recipes were replacing salmon as well. So canned salmon was apparently popular with folks in the 1907s. Um, <clears throat> but what really ramped up America's love for tuna was in World War One. Ah, ah, World War One. I yes. knew we'd get there. Yeah, Thank we have to. Heavens. <laughs> Folks, this isn't, we need to just take a moment here. This is a huge moment for Life's a Banquet. Now, yes. I've been talking about World War I for some time, and I thought, oh, you've just been naysaying and poo-pooing in it, and here we are at World yes. War I. Amazing. Okay, what do we got? The Great War, as they call it, or Zara's favorite war. My favorite war, Yes. as <laughs> always, is the Crimean War. <laughs> um. <laughs> The World War One, everyone's like, uh-oh, we're at war. Um, America was so desperate for protein during the war that they sent all the canned tuna over to them troops. Oh, wow. um, they also tried to push whale as a beef substitute. Whale? Yeah, and then I, it was, of course, was like, what? This was linked to a different article. So I'm like, what does whale like as a texture, as meat? And yeah. it says that it's similar to moose or reindeer. So that would oh, be sure. that would be gamey. <laughs> That's gamey. Now whale is gamey, folks. If you've ever sunk your teeth into a blue whale's back fat, mm-hmm. it's very gamey. Super gamey. Um, and also in Norway, where gamey fish is common, people will just eat whale pieces, you know, raw, undoctored, no seasoning, <clears throat> no salt. I think no salt. Yeah, chunks yeah. of raw whale. Can you eat raw whale? I mean. Okay, I don't know, maybe not raw, but like prepared with, I mean, you can probably eat raw whale. You can eat raw other fish. I have no idea. I know, but isn't a whale like not a fish? Isn't a whale a mammal? Oh yeah, it is a mammal. That's weird though too, But you can it? eat raw mammals. Like Yeah, I did. that's true. I just had steak char-char last night. I should have substituted it with whale. <laughs> then now it's not allowed because they are like endangered. Okay. Um... So once the soldiers came back from the Great War, they were like, oh, my God, I love this tuna. Um, also, I can't really afford to eat anything else because even though I fought for America, I don't have a job when I get back. Um, <laughs> and I'm bummed out. So it soon replaced salmon as the favorite fish of Americans by the 1940s. Um, and fishers, fishers, and fishermen had to venture further out to satisfy demand. So, like, salmon was closer to the shoreline, but... Tuna, mm. like, party way out far away. Um, so they had to go further away. I'm sure they probably got upset and hurt, like, in The Greatest Catch or whatever that show's called. The world's... What is the that show? Deadliest Deadliest Catch, catch yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, El Nino also played a part. Um, the California Fish Company, which is the company that first figured out you can make tuna taste like nothing, originally specialized in sardines. But in mm. 1903, El Nino made all the sardines skip town and forced them to try to find an alternative. So they found albacore. Um, but no one had ever heard of albacore besides sport fishermen. Um, so they decided to relabel it as tuna, even though at the time scientists didn't classify albacore as tuna. They called it a completely different fish. What um, did they call it? It was just like a different... It was a different, according to the scientists at the time, tuna and albacore were just two separate fish. Oh, got it. It was still called albacore. Yeah. So, I mean, that's actually interesting. So, is albacore, like, a fish that you can eat? Like, I've never seen just, like, albacore tuna, like, 
you see yellowfin tuna, right? As like mm-hmm. what you would have with like sushi or like if you were going to just sear a piece of tuna, but can you get albacore? Like is albacore have like red flesh as well when it's raw? I don't know. Um, but basically most, they just read, they don't, I don't know. The albacore was just easier for them to find. Sure. Yellowfin and what's the other one? Bluefin? Redfin? Yeah. <laughs> Orange fin, something, some color. Um, was just not as easy to find, especially off the California coast, I guess. But sure. eventually scientists reclassified albacore as tuna. So everyone was like, no, that's so exciting. Yay. <laughs> um, but then, because we love tuna so freaking much, there became a tuna scarcity in the mid-20th oh. century, um, which led to tuna companies labeling skipjack as tuna. What? So skipjack is in the same taxonomic tribe. But it's not the same genus as tuna. Um, but the government eventually decided, you know what? You can call it light tuna. Tuna light. Because I'm sure Big Tuna was like, if you don't fucking let us name this tuna, we're all the economy's going to collapse. So here's $30 million if you let us name it tuna. And the government was like, no problem. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. So light tuna is skipjack, okay? Tell is it your- still skipjack or they just yeah. slipped the skip? No, no, it's still skipjack. Yes, it's still skipjack. Wow, that's wacky, right? Yeah, totally. Um, we still consume twice as much tuna as we do salmon, our other favorite fish here in America. Um, in the 90s, when everyone cared about the earth, sort of, um, people became upset about dolphin-safe tuna because the way that you catch tuna is... Do- tuna and dolphins kind of like hang out together. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you spot dolphins and you put nets out and it just catches like everything within, you know, a 30 right. mile radius or whatever, which was catching dolphins. Um, <clears throat> eventually that practice sort of stopped. They made it so that a guy would have to, a person would have to be on the boat and certify that no dolphins were harmed during the fishing of the tuna. But in other countries, the the captain of the ship is the person who's like, oh, yeah, no dolphins were hurt. That's all that matters. You can still say dolphin safe on your can if the captain says there are no dolphins were harmed. Right. Also, the policing of dolphin safe tuna is something that the United States really just focuses really heavy heavily on in Mexico so that they can sort of regulate how much tuna Mexico is shipping to the U.S. so they don't, like, drive up prices. Um, That's really fucked up. And also... Just because the dolphins are safe doesn't mean that anything else is safe. So the, the nets don't just catch dolphins. They catch turtles and they catch stingrays and all kinds right. of rays. And those guys just die. <laughs> yeah, nobody cares about them. And that's why the police officer, ACAB, is a dolphin. That's right. what you were saying, right? That the dolphin police are dolphin and, you know, police officers. Right? Also, yes. The dolphin is policing himself. Um, yeah. So... The other thing that I found out that I think is really funny is that most of the tuna, not most, but a large percentage of the tuna that we in America eat is actually not tuna. Um, 59% of fish labeled tuna at restaurants and grocery stores is not tuna. Sushi restaurants were more likely to label their fish incorrectly. So in Chicago, Austin, New York, and Washington, D.C., every single sushi restaurant sampled sold mislabeled tuna. (gasps) What is it? Um, it, 84% was white tuna, which is actually escolar, a fish that 
can cause prolonged, uncontrollable anal leakage. That explains it. Mm -hmm. Um, The only fish more likely to be misrepresented than tuna was snapper, which was mislabeled 87% of the time. Oh, my God. It could have been... What was it actually? Tilapia? Six six different species. Ew. Um, (laughs) um, So, yeah, they said, if you ever wonder why the sushi in the display case is so affordable, given the dire state of the world's tuna supply, well, now you know, okay? Um, But I also have a second part to my tuna story, which is... How we became so interested in the chicken of the sea and how it became the chicken of the sea in the first place. So Jessica Simpson invented it. Yes. Jessica Simpson, for the young people listening to the show may not know this, was Jessica Simpson was a famous singer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She's roughly my age, so you probably don't know her, but um, she had a reality television show when she was young when she was married to Nick Lachey I don't remember what the show was called do you I think it was called Nick and Jessica hang on I'll look it up while you yeah nobody knows there's no way to find out what it was called anyway at some point she's eating tuna and she's like why do they call it the chicken of the sea or something along those lines she basically thought that she was eating chicken chicken because it said chicken on the label and it became like a worldwide controversy like everyone was talking about it everyone was talking about how stupid she is for not knowing that it was tuna blah 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 blah. and then later maybe a couple of years later maybe sooner than that she told everyone that she was just pretending not to know that it was tuna for the show which i believe i also believe it she and she's not stupid she's actually pretty fucking cool and I read her, I listened to her mem- one of her memoirs, and mm. I, like, really liked it, and I think she's actually pretty cool. The show is called Newlyweds. Newlyweds. Damn it. That was, like, such a time. I know. For, like, the MTV VH1 reality show. Remember Cribs? I want to go back and, like, rewatch Cribs. Yeah, or Pimp My Ride. Oh, my God. Pimp My Ride. <laughs> and Punked. <laughs> Oh my Honk god! Is so stupid. Um, so stupid. Although Justin Timberlake did like hysterically cry on there in one of oh, the greatest moments of television history. <laughs> what a loser! Okay, so in 1914, Frank Van Camp and his son were in California wandering around, and they bought the Tuna Canning Company, and they changed it to the Von Camp Seafood Company, not to be confused with the Von Trapp family singers. thanks for laughing at that joke okay so um chicken of the sea was apparently how people described tuna back then um eventually they'll make it into the company name spoiler alert um in 1963 this is also a beautiful story of capitalism um in 1963 van camp seafood was purchased by ralston purina the dog food people um whoa and they were like yay um, but this was still called Van Camp. Um, in 1988, Ralston sold it Van Camp to an Indonesian company called PT Mantrust, which sounds like a fake company to me. <laughs> that sounds like a name I would give if like I got in trouble with someone and they're like, what's your name, miss? And I'd be like, PT Mantrust? Yes. You know, P- the Van Trust is from Long Island. No, it's Mantrust. Oh, even worse. Yeah. Van Trust is a Mantrust. Man. Yeah. Um, Shockingly, P.T. Mantras ran into financial issues. 
did this? I don't know. I think probably PT Mantrust. I think I saw him around here just a moment ago. Yeah, Mr. Mantrust. He went that way. <laughs> um, Who's in I, charge here? PT Mantrust. Yeah, he's a fake. He's a liar. Um, also, what does PT even stand for? Like, I don't know. Whatever. Paul um, Thomas Mantrust. Oh, yeah. Paul Thomas. Sorry. His dad. Um, so they ran into financial trouble, at which point Prudential Life Insurance Company, their major creditor at the time, was the owner of their tuna. <laughs> so wow, they're like, it's fine. We are a life insurance company, but we also own a major tuna canning company. Seems <laughs> fine. Everything's okay. Um, in 1997, the company was purchased by Tri-Union Seafood. That's three different partners. The first one is Thai Union International, the largest tuna packer in Asia. Um, Edmund A. Gann, a single American who is a, in charge of a fleet of tuna fishers. Um, and then the Caribbean, oh no, and then the Marine International Global Trading Company. So all three of them are like, yay, let's share this tuna and they were like let's change the name to the chicken of the sea um because that will make people want to eat this more than calling it the von trapp family singers tuna yeah or the manfried <laughs> steamroller or whatever the fuck this <laughs> person's name is so they're like yo this is now called the chicken of the sea and i was like wouldn't it be funny if like purdue or somebody renamed their stuff as chicken of the land and then they would have <laughs> chicken <laughs> of the land frozen chicken and the chicken of the sea and they could duke it out um, chicken of the land so if you can hear us purdue check it out chicken of the land much better name than purdue chicken tenders amazing um, <clears throat> so then they turned all of that into chicken of the sea international it was a merger everyone was excited um and then in 2003 they acquired empress international frozen shrimp so then they have shrimp, they have tuna, they're making $600 million a year, or that's what their sales are. Um, oh, my God. Then if you guys – I don't really see Chicken of the Sea as much. Bumblebee really is my the one I see in my grocery store the most. But um, the, the Chicken of the Sea mascot is a blonde mermaid named Catalina, and Grace Lee Whitney is credited with being the model. She mentions this in her book. The Longest Trek, My Tour of the Galaxy, which leads me to believe she was on Whoa. Star Trek, but I didn't look it up. <laughs> wow. What an incredible, like, first of all, what an incredible memoir title and mm -hmm. what an incredible, like, piece of your life to be the chicken of the sea model, but in a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Surprised they didn't pick a chicken, though, to be honest. I know. A chicken with a little mermaid tail. Confusing, though. Um, exactly. <laughs> a mer chicken. <laughs> <laughs> um okay now get ready for this wild left term so okay. in 1973 elvis released yeah. a live <laughs> released a live album called aloha from hawaii so it's based on it was a recording of an actual concert in hawaii yeah. um it was number one on the billboard charts it was certified triple platinum and then five times platinum i don't know what that's called cinquenta platinum i don't know that's like 15 but whatever <laughs> um so five times platinum big deal album even though it was 1973 i guess people were still crazy about elvis um but there when the album came out or when i don't know i don't know we don't know when this happened but apparently this album you know because it was so popular reselling it became 
you know, a thing in amongst Elvis collectors. And so mm-hmm. there was this record that had a picture, like a promotional sticker that had chicken of the sea promotional, like promotional record label on it. Um, and so those were considered extremely rare um, because they were hard to find. And so nowadays they still are out there. They sell for like $1,500 each. Oh my God. But it's not real. So Chicken of the Sea like went through, like they did an investigation and they went through all their records and they're like, according to our records, we never made such a promotional sticker. We have no record of it whatsoever. And so it seems as though Elvis collectors made it up to make the record seem more rare and so they could drive up the prices. So it was a scam. Oh my God, the call was coming from inside the house. Who knew? And do we know if Elvis himself enjoyed tuna? Well, we don't know. We did an episode about Elvis, didn't we? Um, but we didn't, I don't remember. So if you really want to know, don't look it up on the internet. Go back to our Elvis episode and find out. There was nothing about tuna on that. But what I do remember from the episode that I did uh, about Elvis was that his favorite sandwich not wasn't like the peanut butter and bacon sandwich that everyone always talks about so much as it was a jelly. It was a like six foot hero or a full hero roll that was scooped out, filled with an entire jar of jelly and a whole <laughs> pound of bacon. Which like there could have been tuna in there too. Probably. There was there probably was like, some tuna bacon. Yeah. I don't like uh, the idea of like the jelly and bacon. Fine. I don't like the idea of tuna and jelly, though, really. No, but I mean, I'll try anything once because tuna really is just chicken flavored. So chicken and jelly is a classic combination. Oh, yes, that's right. I do love chicken and jelly. Like lamb and jelly. (laughs) Lamb and mint jelly, chicken and jelly. I mean, I'll basically put jelly on anything. You know what I mean? Spaghetti and jelly. (laughs) That's nice. Spaghetti and meatballs and jelly. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, but people do put jelly in chili. Sure, but and they jelly. do grape jelly on spaghetti and meatballs. Or well, they put Swedish meatballs, grape jelly, absolutely in there. That's true. My grandma used to make um, like a sweet and sour meatball, and her thing was like tomato sauce and like cranberry sauce. So mm-hmm. that's like basically spaghetti, meatballs, and jelly. It's just funny to me to think about making a big, beautiful steaming pile. Or you go to like an Italian, <laughs> you're at like Bamonte's, and you get spaghetti meatballs. You're like, sorry, can I just bother you for some jelly for this? <laughs> Guys, not mint jelly, though. I prefer, like, any other kind. Strawberry. A marmalade. <laughs> Orange marmalade on top of spaghetti meatballs. That might be fine. Yeah, that might be fine. Also, tuna and orange marmalade, like a raw tuna with some orange marmalade. I bet it's been done. I would try it. Me too. And if, like, I'm going to be honest right now, if I would totally put, like, orange slices in a salad that had, like, tuna in it. So, really, what's the difference? True. Yeah. Pre-marmalade. You're just so, Elvis was right. <laughs> Basically, is what we're saying. <clears throat> yes, he was. What a genius he is. Uh, was. And he's not dead yet. Right, he could still be alive. Okay, according to my 4chan peeps, he's still um, living. Well, also according to Death Becomes Her, right? He's just oh, right. rocking around. The um, yeah, that's all I have for us about wow. tuna. Um, also... The internet is like, yeah, there is a lot of mercury in tuna, but as long as you like don't eat it 12 times a day, you should be fine. Um, but if you weigh under 55 pounds, you should only have tuna once a week. 
Yeah, you hear that? All our nine-year-old listeners, stop eating so much goddamn tuna. Are everyone you know on Ozempic, please don't eat. Yeah. <laughs> if you've reached under 40, 55 pounds. Congrats. Um, uh, yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations to you. What's your secret? It's Ozempic. Um, <laughs> do you remember, I just have like, this memory of like that actor, like Jeremy Piven from mm-hmm. Entourage. Yes. That he like had to go to the hospital because he had like mercury poisoning from tuna. And that just like seems so funny to me because it's like one of those like cheesy like Hollywood guys being like, you know, only eating sushi or whatever because right. they think it's like their version of healthy, but then they almost die from it. Sushi poisoning from yeah. or from uh, carp poisoning as it may be. Yeah, or uh, white tuna, which is that tuna that makes you weak from your butt. Oh, yeah. That's funny. I mean, all these years I thought it was just all the wow chips I've been eating, but really it's all the <laughs> off-brand half-price tuna that I can't keep my hands off of. <laughs> Yum. so uh we both have long stories so I'm gonna save mine for next week actually and it's probably quite a thrill I think it might be the best story that I've ever researched for this podcast I'm so excited yeah it's very interesting um should we talk about like there's so many favorite things that come out of the ocean so maybe we pick three now we can pick three next time okay three things that I love from the ocean I do like tuna. Okay. I made a tuna salad the other day. It was tuna and white beans. And mm. delish. Um, that's so good. I like to do like a little bit of chili crisp in my tuna salad. That's, that's, that's nice. nice. That is lovely. Um, yeah. I also really like to swim in the ocean. Mm. Um, and I miss it since I live here in the landlocked area. Um and also, what else do I like from the ocean? Hmm. Well, I do like an oyster. Ah, delicious. Yeah. An I mean, oyster is really delicious. Really good. Now helpful, sustainable. You can eat oysters and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, vegans can even eat them because they're really just a rock full of sludge. Yeah, it's interesting. Some vegans do eat oysters because they don't have brains. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. My three favorite things from the sea. I love, uh, humpback whales. So cute. They are very cute and large. Yeah. Humpback whale is cute. Um, and then my second favorite is beluga whales. I'm just kidding. My (laughs) second favorite thing is I love swordfish. It's my favorite fish. It's delicious. It is also a lot of mercury, but great. Growing up in Long Island, you eat a lot of swordfish. And then when I went to Sicily, they ate a lot of raw swordfish, which was so delicious. Yum. Um, Yeah, I love swordfish. It's really, really great. Just like on the grill, like a little salt, a little olive oil, lemon, or like olive oil poached. I just am a huge sword fan. And I love the nose. It's so sharp and pointy. Mm -hmm. And my favorite thing from the sea, it's got to be Zeus. My man yeah. Zeus. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Little Mermaid's dad. Yeah, I, I love Zeus. How is that hot is Zeus? Or no, he was King Triton, I guess. That's, but he was yeah. also like pretty good looking. Um, Ariel's dad. He could get it for sure. Yeah. He's Zeus adjacent. Yeah. They must be related or something. But you know what? Is Zeus isn't the water god. That's Poseidon. Oh. Well, you just like Zeus in general. I'm so embarrassed. Guys. <laughs> I meant to say Poseidon. Um, Zeus well, sucks. Does he suck? I mean, I feel like all no. of them kind of suck. 
Zeus is fine, but he's like not, you know, ocean specific. And I got confused because, you know, I'm not really so much for Greek mythology. Um, and uh, now I really put my foot in my mouth. But Poseidon, call me. Well, apparently King Triton was the son of Poseidon. So I am doing great. Not as great as you, but pretty good. <laughs> I am just, bl- I'm beat red. I'm so embarrassed. Um, <laughs> all right, folks. Well, we're, on that note, we're just going to quit while we're ahead. And we'll see you next week for part two of The Ocean. Bye. Hasta la pasta. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Life's a Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.